0: Amen. Well, today we, we are coming upon Christmas, as you know, tomorrow, and uh, I'm pretty excited for this Christmas, actually. I'm, I'm, uh, usually I'm not always as excited, but I'm excited for this Christmas to spend it with my, my family. Um, and I'm happy that, as I said, this Sunday is Christmas Eve. It's a nice opportunity to celebrate the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if I asked you what the incarnation of Jesus Christ was, what would you say? If I asked you, what, how would you define the incarnation of Jesus Christ, what would you say? Would you maybe quote a catechism? That might be good. Or would you just say something like this? I, I think you would say that it was the eternal Son of God, God, the Son, taking upon humanity. That's really the essence of the incarnation, this eternal Son of God. As Christians, we believe in the Trinity, the triunity of God. God exists as three persons, one God. And the father, who wants to redeem the world, and wants to save sinners, sends his son. And he sends his son on a mission, a saving mission. In order for the son to accomplish his mission of saving his people from his sins, he would have to take upon humanity. He'd have to be like them in order to save them. He'd have to be fully God and fully man. And then if I ask you, well, what scriptures would you quote that might explain the incarnation, at least, at least in its essence? You might quote scriptures such as John 1.14. And the Word, this is Jesus, the Word, pre-incarnate Jesus, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But you see, the Word became flesh The Word becomes incarnated. The Word is a title or a description of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Or you might quote Philippians 2, 5 through 8, that says this, Have this mind in you, which was yours in Christ Jesus, who though was in the form of God, that form, morphe, means he was in the very essence of God, intrinsically God, though he was in the form of god did not e- count equality with god a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form intrinsically as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death that is the death on a cross so that's a that's a good text that defines the incarnation and the purpose of it he becomes obedient to death death on a cross you might even look at Timothy's gospel. It says, Great is the mystery of godliness, for God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh, it says. Hebrews 2:17 and 16, 17 says, For surely it is not that angels that he helps, God doesn't save angels, but he helps the seed of Abraham, meaning God's true people. Therefore, it says, he had to be made like his brethren in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for sins of the people. So all these texts kind of describe the Incarnation. And the Incarnation, really, just described being his person, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, in one person. Have you ever heard of the hypostatic union? It's a hypostatic unit. It's very a lot of theological stuff. But basically, it's the union of Christ's humanity and his deity in one person. His deity not being changed. His humanity not being changed. That's way he could be the savior of men. And he can also propitiate and satisfy the justice and wrath of God. So that's what... I want to look at today, but actually, I want to look at something a little different. We want to go away from the person of Christ, right? The person, I'm talking about his humanus deity, but I, I want to talk today more about his, the work of Christ. What did Christ do? How did he accomplish this work? I want to talk about his work. When you think about Christ, you're talking about his person and his work. So let's look at the work of Now, admittedly, some of this does not necessarily pertain directly to the Incarnation in the sense that it's not just about the Incarnation, but in order for Christ to accomplish his, His work, the Incarnation is necessary. It has to be. Christ couldn't have done what He did unless there was Christmas. Christ couldn't have accomplished salvation unless He became a man. So you see, that's what I want to look at today. You know, Job kind of proclaims this, this in a sense where Job proclaims his, his uh, need for a mediator. And I once want to read this passage in Job 9.32-34. through 34, Maybe one of the oldest passages in the Bible, the oldest book in the Bible. And, and Job is contemplating, he says, I need a mediator. Someone that can put his hand on me and his hand on God and reconcile these two parties. So here's what Job says. He says, for, he's talking about God. For God is not a man. He's not a man as I am that I might answer him that we should come together, come to trial together. He's saying, I can't go to court with God. God's too holy, He's too other. He said, There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Job says, I need a mediator. We need an arbiter. Jesus, who would lay his hand on God because he's God. And he would lay his hand on man, and he would bring them together through his perfect work as Jesus Christ. So I want to talk just real briefly, not too long, but I want to talk today. I hope it doesn't get too long, but, but this is something that I, and if you were here on Wednesday night, then you might, it might be some repetition here, but, you know, I had a hard week, so I thought this was, would be a good, I, I really, God captured my heart about this topic So I thought this is a good way to look at the work of Christ. So I want to look at the work of Christ today. And In order to look at the work of Christ, we want to do it how John Calvin did it. John Calvin was a big advocate of understanding the work of Christ by what theologians call his threefold office. The threefold office of Christ. And what that means is that Jesus Christ was all these three things. He was a prophet. He was a priest, and he was a king. Now, he was the greatest of all prophets. He was the greatest of all priests, and he was the greatest king. And he's more than just a prophet. He's more than just a priest. He's more than just a king. He is God Almighty. But yet, in his work, he functions as a prophet, as a priest, and as a king. And that meets our need for our salvation, which we will unpack. Now, before we we look at Christ as a prophet, if you think about the Old Testament, the Old Testament had these three offices. It had a prophet, a priest, and king. And all of these offices, a prophet, priest, and king, they were anointed, meaning God anointed them by His Spirit, and sometimes even with oil. And even the oil had to have a certain uh, ingredients, and it was very important. And the prophet was anointed, the priest was anointed, and the king was anointed, and you see, that's what Jesus Christ, that's what it means, Jesus the Christ. We talked last week about Peter, or Jesus asked, Peter, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. The Christ means the anointed one, the Savior. So therefore, all these prophets of the Old Testament, the priests in the Old Testament offering sacrifices, and the king in the Old Testament all pointed to somebody. They pointed to Jesus, our great prophet, priest, and king, who in his in this one person of Jesus Christ, he functions in these three offices in behalf of his people. Now secondly, I want you to understand this. Listen up. Um, I ain't talking mainly to my kids, but just kidding. But, but um, um, uh, if you think about an office, what is an office? If you were to look up that dictionary, in the dictionary, an office would be an officer was someone who represents somebody for the benefit of others so for example if you think of a police officer talk about officers a correction officer a police officer a police officer what does he do he represents the government the police officers in texas represent the government of texas and they're going to enforce the laws of texas for the benefit of the people of texas So that's what an officer does. He's called an officer of the peace, and he represents the government, and he enforces certain policies or laws, and he does that in order to do this for the sake of God's people or for the sake of the people of society. Now, Christ is an office bearer as well. Did you know that? Christ is an office bearer. That means he represents God in his offices. He represents God, and not only does he represent God, he does it for the benefit of his people. So we're going to look at that today. So let's look first at the first office of Christ. That is Christ as prophet. Christ is our prophet. And again, you say, well, how is this a Christmas message? Well, if Christ wasn't incarnated, he couldn't function in these ways. The incarnation was absolutely necessary for Christ to be our prophet, to be our king, and to be our priest. So let's look, Christ is a prophet. What does that mean? Well, Christ reveals the will of God to us by his word and his spirit for our salvation. That's what I'm saying. Christ reveals the will of God to you. He reveals the will of God to us by his word, through his word, through his spirit for our salvation. So that's what Christ does. So if you're saved and you say here are saved, that's because Christ has revealed something to you as a prophet. Christ, the living Christ, Through his word, through his spirit, he reveals the will of God for your salvation. It's really a a glorious thing. And I'll, I'll tell you something else. This is more technical, more theological, but I thought I would throw this in. It's pretty interesting. Christ even functioned, I believe, as a prophet before he was incarnated. For example, you read in Genesis 1, And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let the, let the seas teem forth with living creatures, and it was so. That's Christ, the prophet, speaking these things into existence. I believe that. Many theologians believe that too. Because why is that? Because Christ is the word of God. And as the word of God, he speaks as the co-creator with the Father, and the universe leaves into existence. That's Christ, the prophet. He speaks life, and there's life. He speaks light, and there's light. Christ is a mighty prophet indeed. This was, this was prophesied in the Old Testament. Remember Deuteronomy 18.18. 18. You know what Moses said? I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among your, their brothers. Actually, God says this. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And there's so many scriptures, Acts 3.22, that say this was referring to Jesus. Jesus is a prophet like Moses. And as a prophet, God called Jesus to be a prophet. A true prophet is one who is called by God. He raises them up. A true prophet is one who speaks God's very words. That's why he says, I'll put my word in his mouth. Jesus Christ spoke the very word of God, and he reveals God to you. He reveals who you are in that you are a sinner, and you need a Savior, And he reveals as prophet the way of salvation through the gospel. That's Christ as prophet. It's very important to understand that. Also, a true prophet would speak consistently with the rest of Scripture. It says in Deuteronomy 13 that even if a prophet says he's a prophet... He says he's a prophet. He goes out and he does some miracles, signs, and wonders that even come to pass. But if he says, you go after other gods, he said, don't follow that prophet. He's not consistent with Scripture. But you see, Jesus Christ is the prophet par excellence. He's a perfect prophet that reveals God to us. He reveals who you are as a sinner in need of redemption. And he reveals the way of salvation through the cross work of Jesus Christ, through faith. And repentance. Why is this important that he's a prophet? You know why? I'll tell you why, and maybe it's not very commendatory, but because you are foolish and you are ignorant. Man, apart from Christ, is foolish and ignorant. You're basically deaf, dumb, and blind and stupid. Sorry, foolish. When it comes to spiritual realities, you might make up your own God, you make up your own ways, you make up your own morals, your, more, your, more, your, your own ethics, <clears throat> but you need a prophet to speak forth the word of God to you, to teach you what is right and what is true. That's why we need that, because we're ignorant. Man apart from Christ is ignorant. But you see, in Christ, Jesus reveals the Father to us. Matthew eleven twenty seven 27 says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So if you know the Father, if you know God as your Father, that's because Jesus Christ as prophet has revealed Him to you. Make no mistake. And apart from Jesus Christ revealing the Father to you, you wouldn't know Him. You wouldn't know Him. You'd be like other ignorant spiritually dumb, blind people, you wouldn't know the Father. You might have some vain recognition of God, who, that there is a God out there somewhere, but you would not know the Father. So that's why John 20, 31 says, but these things are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in His name. The Bible was written that you might believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world and that you would believe and have life in His name and that you would repent. So that is first uh, Christ the prophet. And you know Christ the prophet, you know what He does? He'll come into your life and He'll show you what a sinner you are. He'll show you your sin. He'll show you your misery. You'll you'll look at your life and you'll see how how often you have failed and you've been stupid and ignorant. And he'll show you that you're not so great. He'll show you to think less of yourself because that is our problem, is we think way too much of ourselves and we think way too less about God. And Christ the prophet will show you to think less of yourself and more about God. And more about others. That's what the prophet does. We think way too much of ourselves. You must think less of yourself and more of God. Well, Christ is our prophet, but he's also the other thing he is, is. He's a priest. Christ functions as our priest. So let's move on. Christ is priest. Now this can be contrasted in the uh, this can be contrasted with the office of the prophet. Because remember, the prophet speaks for God in the presence of men. The priest sacrifices for men in the presence of God. So there's a little bit of a contrast here. The prophet speaks for God in the presence of men. The priest sacrifices for men in the presence of God. So again, what is the need of the priest? You know why you need a we know why you need a prophet because you're dumb, spiritually speaking. Sorry, I shouldn't call people dumb. Might make people so mad, but you're ignorant. You're foolish. So you need a prophet. But you know why you need a priest? You need a priest because you're guilty. You're guilty, my friends. You've sinned and fallen short of the God. You cannot enter into God's holy presence. Just willy-nilly, you can't just go and enter in God's presence because your name is so-and-so. You need to only enter in through the priest, Jesus Christ. He brings you to God. So you're guilty, and that's why you need a priest if you are entering into God's presence. Now, a priest in the Old Testament, and this is true of Jesus, has three main duties. What do you think they are? Three duties of a priest. Well, the first is to offer something. What does the priest usually do? What did the priest do in the Old Testament? He offered sacrifices. That's the first duty of the priest. Second, duty of the priest is he would pray for people. He would intercede for people. That's why we pray for people because we, we, are at, we have the priesthood of all believers. So we can pray for people like priests. But the, um, also the priest also blesses people. Just like the blessing we read at the end of the service. May the Lord bless you. The priest would stand up to the congregation of Israel. May the Lord bless you with his hands extended. May his, gray, may his face shine upon you. All of those blessings that would be imparted through the priest. So those are the three functions of the priest. Now let's think about this real quickly. First of all, my Christ makes a sacrifice. And he executes the office of a priest by he enters into the very presence of God and he offers a sacrifice. What sacrifice did Christ offer? Did he offer an animal sacrifice? You guys have been in our church long enough. You know what sacrifice he offered. He offered himself. Christ is the priest. He's the only one that can enter into the Holy of Holies, the very Prince of God, and he's the sacrifice itself. He's simultaneously sacrifice and priest, or priest and sacrifice. So he goes into the Holy of Holies. He offers the sacrifice, and he brings people, who are headed for eternal ruin to Himself, and He reconciles us. He reconciles us together. Let me just read you some scriptures. Hebrews 9, 13 to 14. For if the blood... it's speaking of the Old Testament. It's an argument from the lesser to the greater, I believe. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer, heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh... If the Old Testament sacrifice can do that, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? If these Old Testament sacrifices could could at least purify the flesh, how much more will Christ's blood purify your guilty conscience? It will. You can go to sleep tonight and have a good night's sleep a good rest because Christ has died for your sins. Hebrews 9:24 says Christ has entered not into the holy place made with hands like in Israel which are copies of the true things but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Only Christ the God-man could enter into the very presence of God. And what does he do there? He says, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, wasn't like the other priests who had to go time and time again, day after day after day, year after year after year, to enter into this holy place in the tabernacle to enter an animal sacrifice. Christ, it took one time. His sacrifice was so efficacious, it was so powerful, that it would forever take away sins. That's what he did. So he offers a sacrifice. For you and for me, if you trust in him. How do you know if you offered that sacrifice? Have you believed in him? Have you repented of your sins? Have you said, Lord, no longer my way, but your way? Lord, your way. I saw what my way does. I saw the way my, where my way gets me, but I'm going to do it your way. You ever heard that Frank Sinatra song? I'll do it my way. You know where your way is going to get you? I'm sorry, but it's going to get you into hell. Christ's way will enter into the very presence of God in eternal blessings forevermore. So don't be like Frank Sinatra. I'll do it my way. But also, Christ, another thing He does, He intercedes for His people. He intercedes. Hebrews 7.25, Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. Why? Why? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is able to save to the uttermost. There was uh, an evangelist named Billy Sunday. He kind of changed the wording of that verse. He says, he is able to save to the guttermost those who draw near to God through him. Why? Because he always lives to make intercession for them. I don't care where you've been, what you have done. God is able to save you from your sins because Jesus Christ has made intercession for you and he pleads for you that you will be saved. And God always answers his prayers. That's why it is totally ridiculous for anyone to say you can be saved and then lose your salvation. That means the intercessory work of Christ has failed. It it won't fail. So why is intercession important for the Christian? I'm speaking to Christians. Because we sin as Christians. And when we sin, we have Jesus Christ who stands and pleads for us as as the advocate. And he says, Father, don't worry. I've taken care of that sin. You see the wounds in my hands and on my side. And he pleads for us. God says, "They're, they're forgiven. They're forgiven. And he constantly intercedes. He doesn't go to sleep He can hear every single person's prayers all at once who are praying all over the world. Jesus Christ hears our prayers. And he intercedes for us all. Why else is the intercessory work of Christ important? You know why? Because you as a Christian are so very weak. You are so weak. And when you think about your weakness, spiritually speaking, you should be so grateful for Jesus Christ's intercession Jesus literally sits at the right hand of God and pleads that your faith will not fail, that you will make it. In your hardest of hard times, in your lowest of lows, Christ is praying for you, ensuring that you will not fall away. Remember what he told Peter? Remember what he told Peter? He said, Simon Peter, Simon Simon, Satan demanded to have you. That he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and his faith did not fail because Christ prayed for him. Jesus prays for us right now in the high priestly prayer, and in John seventeen eleven, he says this, and he says this about every single true believer of God. My Father, he says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of Your name. Jesus Christ literally is telling the Father, asking the Father, beseeching the Father, Father, protect my sheep by your name. Don't let the devil pluck them out. He's gonna try. There will be very much there'll be a lot of enemies, and it's going to, they're gonna, their faith will be assailed and weakened. But Jesus is praying. And God hears his prayers. Always. And lastly, Christ as priest, what does he do? He blesses his people. That's why Paul would say, he says, every, we, we, we blessed be the God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. You know what Jesus did right before he ascended? He led them down as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands like this, and he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them, and he was carried up into heaven, just like the priests, just like the priests in the Old Testament would. Jesus blesses his people. You are blessed by Jesus as our priest. You know what Moses, as we do every every time our service ends, Moses taught Aaron that he was supposed to lay his hands up and he was supposed to say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Do you know that those blessings can only come to you in and through Jesus Christ? It's only through Jesus Christ that the Lord can bless you. It's only through Jesus Christ that His face will shine upon you. It's only through Jesus Christ that He will be gracious to you. And it's only through Jesus Christ that He will lift up His counts on you and give you peace. Now, if you don't have Jesus Christ, and you sit here, that means the Lord's not going to bless you and keep you. He's not going to make His face shine upon you. He may not even be gracious to you. He may give you common grace, hopefully. Hopefully. He's not going to lift up his countenance upon you. And you're not going to have peace. So, no wonder why the way of the wicked is hard. It's hard to be a Christian, but I think, too, to be a wicked person, probably even more difficult. But when you're wicked, you're wicked. It's who you are. You, can't, you, you drink up your sin like water. This is who you are, until you repent. Well, finally, let's go to the next one. Jesus is our king. He's our prophet, he's our priest, and he's our king. Why? How is he our king? Well, Christ rules us, he defends us, he protects us. Psalm 2 6, prophecy about Christ. He As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So Christ rules from his throne. And as the king of the universe, he will inherit all the nations, and they will glorify him. And his throne is a righteous throne. It's a righteous rule. In Hebrews 1, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. About Jesus. Your throne, O God, Jesus being called God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. He says, you have love righteousness and hate iniquity. So Jesus Christ rules in righteousness and justice. How does he execute his office of a king? Let me just give you some hints. What have we done? First, he subdues us to himself in our salvation. That's the first way he operates as a king. He subdues you to himself. He subdues you. He comes into your life. He shows you your sin as a prophet. He shows you the great sacrifice that he's made as a priest. And he humbles you and he causes you to submit to him, Jesus being the king. Before in your life, you were the king. Now Jesus comes in, he says, No, you're small, I'm big, I'm the king. You're his servant, you're the citizen of the kingdom. So now you live under the laws of the kingdom. You live under the rule of the kingdom because he has subdued you to himself. Isn't that amazing? I love Psalm 110, 3. Puritans would often quote us about salvation. I think it's right. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. When God comes in with his power and subdues your wicked heart to himself, you will offer yourself freely on the day of God's power. But not only does he subdue us to himself, he also defends us from all of our enemies. He subdues our enemies. Did you know that you have enemies as a Christian? They come in all forms, shapes, and sizes. It could even be you are the enemy. Your are flesh. Your sinful nature is an enemy. The devil is an enemy. You might have people can be an enemy, but Christ will defend you from your enemies. You have, a, you have a God who will defend you at all times. The Bible says God is a man of war. It doesn't mean he's a man, but he's a warrior, and he will go to war for you. We just need to trust him in that. Remember what Paul, what, uh, Jesus appears to Paul in Acts 18, 9-10, and I'll tell you what, Paul had a lot of enemies. People were trying to brutalize him, stone him to death, You know what? The Lord appeared to him. He said, "Lord," And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. I have many people in this city. He says, Don't be afraid. I'm going to subdue your enemies. So Christ our King, he goes to war. He defeats our spiritual enemies. Acts 26, 18, listen to this. He says, Jesus Christ came with the gospel that Paul was preaching. He says to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Jesus Christ, as our king, turns us from the power of Satan to God. So now you're following God. So, you know, sometimes we feel like we have so many enemies, so many spiritual enemies, so many enemies And you know what God would say to you? The battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. Just like he told Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, just go out there and lead the choir in front of you and watch what's going to happen because the battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. And you have a king who will always see to it that you will be safe and secure from your enemies. So that's such a blessing. The battle is the Lord's. So let me just, that's it. So let me just finish with this application. Here's where it gets pretty cool in a sense. This is where it gets really cool. Because, because you see, this is Jesus Christ, who is a prophet, priest, and king. And he's anointed. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that you are a Christian and you share in his anointing. Well, what does that mean? He says you have an anointing from the Father. In 1 John 2.27. So that means you share in Christ's anointing. So what does that mean? That means that you share in, we might I might say a lower case. I'm not charismatic here. But you, are, you have a prophetic anointing. And that sounds dangerous. Sounds like, but that's not what, I'm not saying you're, but you are a prophet in this. That you go to your friends. You go to your coworkers. You go out. And what do you have? The gospel. And you have the knowledge to speak forth The word of God to people like a prophet. And you tell them who God is. You tell them who man is and what God requires of man. And you're functioning in that way as a prophet. You're speaking forth true words of God. And again, I'm not saying you're making it up. It only comes from here. Even Christ's prophetic ministry, he exercises it through his word and the spirit as it illuminates his word. I don't believe in prophets today, like forthtelling type of stuff. Jesus Christ is the last prophet. There are no more. We just sort of have this anointing that he gives to us where we can speak forth his word to a world that is ignorant and blind and deaf to spiritual things. So, isn't that exciting? Secondly, not only do we have anointing of a, of a prophet, we have an anointing of a priest. What do we do as priests? Well, priests offer what? Sacrifices. And you know what the Bible says? Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. So you are the sacrifice, and you're presenting your own being to God. There's also other sacrifices in the book of Hebrews. Thankfulness is a spiritual sacrifice. Offer a spiritual sacrifice of praise to God as a priest of God. Also, you can intercede and pray for people like a priest intercedes and prays for people. And lastly, we, have, we share in this kingly anointing. We're, in a sense, we are kings in the sense that we go out. And you know what we do? We, we do, I don't want to say jihad. It's not true jihad. We do holy war. But this war is not against flesh and blood. This war is against our sin. This war that we wage is against the sin, our flesh, the devil. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God through the pulling down of strongholds, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we go out with our spiritual armor on and we fight against sin. We fight against evil and corruption And we speak the truth in love. And in this way, we're imitating our king. And whatever rule God has given you, you live in your home, right? You're a king of your home. Well, you must rule your home in a righteous way. You must rule your house in a righteous manner. You must rule your life in a righteous manner, in a very orderly manner. So you see, that's how we imitate this anointing that we have as Jesus Christ, our great prophet, priest, and king. And I know this message wasn't very Christmassy, but, you know, if Jesus Christ couldn't be your prophet, he couldn't be a priest, he couldn't be a king if he wouldn't have become flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the only glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, full of truth. So remember on this Christmas, think what great blessings that you have, that God has bestowed on you, as our prophet, our priest, and our king. Think about that. And if he's not your prophet, priest, and king, and you sit here today, then let me just exhort you. Ask him to be. Ask him to subdue yourself to him. Ask him to save you, that you know that you have a great high priest who sits at the right hand of God, who prays for you, He defends you, and he keeps you. And that's our hope in this world. And that's our hope on Christmas. All right, so let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much for this uh, time. We love you. We thank you, God. We just give you the praise. Lord, I pray, God, that you would be with us and help us, Lord, as we endeavor to imitate our Savior. We thank you for his prophetic priestly and kingly ministry that he does for our benefit thank you that he meets our needs he meets our needs of, uh, because we are ignorant we need a prophet he meets our need because we are, are guilty and we don't have access to you so we need a priest and we he meets our need because we're weak and you're a king you're a mighty king And you defend us and protect us and rule us. So we thank you, God. I pray that you would rule us more and more in our hearts. I pray we would submit to you. And that you would bless us this Christmas season. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.